Well, good morning again. Glad to be with all of y'all this morning. Bobby, and uh, th- th- thank you all of you that helped this morning in leading worship. So y'all didn't have a whole lot of heads up. Daniel is out sick this morning, so thank you for leading that way. For Bobby, Miss Jamie, all of the choir and the ladies, thank y'all for leading us in worship this morning. I love a church that has a deep roster, and people can step in kind of last minute and be able to help lead and worship like that. Thank you for that. Well, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. So go ahead and start turning to Mark chapter 11. Uh, kiddos, those of you that are children's church age, uh, y'all go ahead and head out for children's church. Kids will be dismissed. So for the past year or so, oh, for the past year or so, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark with our youth. So I love that now Jeremy is now also in the gospel of John. Always great to be in the Gospels looking at the life of Christ. So we've been in the Gospel of Mark with our youth here in Sunday morning service. We've been in the Gospel of John. So the passage that we're going to look at today is also in the Gospel of John. It was uh, from our Sunday school lesson. It it was just the passage just previous to where we were this morning. But we will not be there. You know, we still got a little ways in John before we get to chapter 12. So for some context... The passage right before Mark chapter 11, Jesus is teaching something incredible. So we see in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, we see even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus taught us that true greatness is not just about how many people you have serving you, but about how you are serving the people. Then we kind of turn the corner in the Gospel of Mark. So from Mark chapter 11 on through chapter 16, this is that final week of Jesus' life. So with Easter coming up in just a few weeks, the, the, about 38% of Mark is spent in this last week of Jesus' life here on earth. John's about the same. I think John's about 40%. There's a lot that happens in that last week of Jesus' life, right? It must be significant. So how does Mark inaugurate that week? What does he record first? He records Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It's recorded in all four Gospels. This must be something significant. Oftentimes this is referred to as the triumphal entry. So today, three weeks before Easter Sunday, we're going to look at that text this morning. Great passage for us to study, great passage for us to dive into. So if you would, stand with me please for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, At the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside at the street. And they untied it. Some of those who were standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. When he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. 
Lord, we pray this morning as we look at this passage, the, the one week before your glorious resurrection is recorded here. Lord, help us to understand this passage. Help us to see how it applies to our life. Lord, again, like we have said multiple times this morning, we seek to glorify you through studying your word this morning. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So we start out in this passage with a lot of details. There's some logistical details that are recorded here. But first, the timing and the context of this passage is crucial. So again, this is the Sunday before the Jewish celebration of Passover later on that week. Now, what was that celebrating? Remember again, this Passover was celebrating when God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt. Long, long ago, back in Exodus chapter 12, the Passover is inaugurated. Remember the, the ten plagues that are brought upon Egypt so that Pharaoh will let the people of Israel go. That, that's what this Passover is celebrating. It's celebrating that night when God's people, the Israelites, they sacrificed a lamb before the Lord. They spread the blood on the doorpost so that the, the angel of death, or the, as the text says, the destroyer, would pass over that house. But that night in Egypt, we see that the firstborn all across the land died that night. That forced Pharaoh's hand to let the people go. God was delivering his people out of Egypt in that event. And this Passover celebration is commemorating and celebrating just that event. Israel's liberation from an oppressor. Started way back in Exodus chapter 12, and now they're celebrating it years and years and years later. So the context of this passage is important for us. So keep, keep that in mind as we continue to work through this passage. Now, like I said, this is the Sunday before Jesus has his last supper on that Thursday. He goes to the cross on that Friday and then is gloriously resurrected on that Sunday. So this is one week before Jesus is resurrected from the grave. Like we said, a lot happens in that week. Pretty important week in world history, correct? And all of this starts with the triumphal entry. So Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. He's coming in, it says, from Bethpage and Bethany. Now this is it's really not a very long walk then why does Jesus send his disciples into town to get a colt, to come back out, then he rides the colt into, oh, I mean, this, I'm a very logical and I, I value efficiency. This is not the most efficient way to come into Jerusalem. So then what, what is going on? I mean, why, why does Jesus send his disciples in to commit grand theft donkey? Like, why do they come in and just like take this guy's donkey and run off with it? Like, what, what is... What's going on here in this passage? He sends in two of his disciples with very detailed instructions. I mean, you can look here at the instructions that he gives. Go into the village in front of you. Immediately, you'll find the colt tied. No one has ever sat on this colt. Untie it. Bring it. Oh, and if anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord has need of it, and then I will send it back immediately. He gives very detailed instructions. And he gives the outcome also. Jesus foresaw all of these events and told the disciples very accurately what to do. And the disciples follow through with every aspect of what he has asked them to do. As I was reading through this passage, it's picture for a second if you're that disciple. It's a little strange, right? Go take some guy's donkey. Oh, I'll bring it back. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I'll bring it back later. 
but everything works out exactly as Jesus has said. This is side note to the disciples and their obedience, even when it's a little bit strange what Christ has asked them to do. So these disciples, they, they go, they find everything exactly as they were told. They bring the colt back to Jesus. They throw their cloaks on the colt. Jesus rides into the city. But again, why? Why is Jesus going about it from this way? Why, why not just walk into the city? So Matthew 21 Keep your finger marked, but Matthew 21 actually gives us a little bit of an explanation as to why this is going on. Matthew has this exact same account and tells us that the colt was actually with its mother. They brought both animals to Jesus. But why ride the colt, not the mother? Why not walk into town? This is actually the only time in Scripture we have recorded of Jesus riding an animal. It's recorded in all four gospel accounts as well. And you got something in all four gospel accounts, hey, Pay attention. There's something important happening here. So what's going on? Let's look there at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, a, a parallel passage to what we see in Mark. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. And tie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says, to you, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, The Lord needs them. He will send them off at once. Then listen to this in verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Why did Jesus decide to ride into Jerusalem? He did so to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. That's this, this what is quoted here. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. Clear fulfillment of prophecy as Christ is entering into Jerusalem quickly on the way going to the cross in just a few days' time. That's why Jesus chose to ride this colt into Jerusalem. He's giving the people a clear sign of who he truly is, the long-awaited Messiah. All right, but again, why the colt? Why not the mother? If you've got two animals there, why, why not pick the bigger one? Well, one is to fulfill prophecy. Two, we see multiple times in Scripture that this unridden, unbroken animal specifically dedicated to service to God. It's what we see with the transportation of the ark in 1 Samuel 6-7. We see this in multiple places. Christ is giving out all the signs to this crowd that is there. I'm fulfilling this prophecy and I'm coming into Jerusalem. That's why they are so excited. All right, what happens on that road to Jerusalem? As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, what do we see happening? Back in Mark 11, verses 8 through 10. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is one of these areas in, in, in Scripture where we need to know the cultural context. Because again, when we, when we just come to this passage, he's just coming into Jerusalem. He caught a ride on the way in. 
What, what, what are they so excited about? What's going on here? This is it's one of those places where we need to dig a little deeper into the commentaries, looking at the historical context. All right, why are they throwing cloaks on the road? What's going on here? 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, looking at some context. It says, Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. These cloaks are spread out for the coming of the new king. Ushering in this new king into Jerusalem. That's what we're seeing here in this passage. I mean, think about kind of rolling out the carpet for the VIP coming into town. That, that's what we're seeing in this passage. They're throwing the cloaks down in front of Christ. All right, what about the palm branches? The palm branches consistently uh, linked with celebrating triumph for the people of Israel. Just listen to this one commentary's explanation. It said the cloaks on the road symbolize the crowd's submission to Jesus as king. The branches, palms, symbolize Jewish nationalism and victory. They're connected with prominent Jewish victories and with the festival of tabernacles. We see this crowd with Jesus here in verse 9. It says, those who went before and those who followed. I mean, this isn't just a few folks. This is a crowd following with Jesus. Matthew 21 tells us the crowd behind, the crowd in front. Luke 19 calls it a multitude. John 12, 18 tells us that many in the crowd came to see Jesus because they had heard that Lazarus had been risen from the dead. Jesus raised him up. So during this festival, tons of pilgrims are coming into Jerusalem. Some of the scholars think that Jerusalem, the population grew to about three times its normal size. I mean, Jerusalem is packed out with people coming to celebrate the Passover during this week. So there's a lot of our context of what's going on in this passage. Sometimes for us, being 2,000 years removed, we're going, well, hang on, what, why is this happening? Why is that happening? What, trying to make sense of the passage. Here's some of our context of what's going on. What do we see? We see Jesus very clearly fulfilling Messianic prophecy. Zechariah 9, riding a colt into Jerusalem. And the people are very obviously picking up on that reference. They're laying down their cloaks for the new king. They're laying down the palm branches for the, the, the victory of Israel celebrating that Jewish nationalism. The crowd is stirred up. They're excited. They're proclaiming Hosanna. They may not know exactly what's going to happen, but they're reading the markers pretty well. They know something's coming. Something's about to happen. Then we get that famous phrase here in verse 9. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king, kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This phrase, Hosanna, literally means save us, we pray. So they're quoting this from Psalm 118, 25, and 26. Every year as part of this Jewish Passover celebration, they sing the Hallel, which is Psalm 118 to one, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. So this passage they're quoting is part of what they're also singing as part of the Passover celebration. These good Jewish followers knew this passage. So I want you to think kind of, you know, around Christmas time. We celebrate Christmas not that long ago. Think about what, what passages are familiar around Christmas time. Right? You got Matthew 1, Luke 2. You 
at Isaiah. I mean, like these passages are coming to mind for you, right? That's what we see happening here with them calling out Hosanna. These passages are on their mind. They may have already been singing them in preparation for Passover week. These passages are already at the forefront of their thought. And so these, these, these good Jewish pilgrims, they knew the implications of this passage. And now they're calling on Christ as the fulfillment of that passage. Hosanna. Not only did they, they didn't stop there, they said, Hosanna, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. All right, we got Christ fulfilling Zechariah 9. We're celebrating with the palm branches of this Jewish victory. They're calling on him from Psalm 118. Now they're also calling him to be that promised Davidic Messiah from 2 Samuel 7. I mean, the, the people are doubling down. They're, they're picking up on what is going on in this event. Christ coming in to Jerusalem on this triumphal entry. I mean, this is why we call it this triumphal entry. They're excited. Some of these things that we may not pick up just being 2,000 years removed, I mean, they're picking it up right off the bat. They see what is going on. Now, as we've walked through the, the, the gospel of Mark with the youth, several times we've made reference to this messianic secret. Now, what is that? Oftentimes Christ would come to heal somebody and say, okay, we don't... Don't tell anybody about this. Some would be raised from the dead. Okay, don't, 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 don't tell anybody about that. Keep that to yourselves. Even when we see Peter, he makes the confession that Jesus is the Christ in Mark eight twenty nine. The very next verse reads, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So all through, all through the Gospels, we see Jesus going, oh, hang on, not yet. Don't, don't, don't tell everybody. Okay, don't, don't, don't tell anybody about this. Now he's coming in on the cult, openly fulfilling prophecy, seemingly very publicly stepping into this role. Okay, well, then, then, then why is he being so open with the crowds now? I mean, they're obviously picking up on these prophecies. Jesus is not trying to hide that identity anymore. So what's changed Again, when we see how Christ is, uh, how he's presenting himself, how, he, how he's acting throughout the Gospels, and all of a sudden there's a stark change. What's going on? We should ask that question. I love that this morning, in Sunday school, we happened to read across this passage. John twelve twenty three, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It wasn't Christ's time earlier. Well, now he's just a few days out from the cross. Again, this is on that Sunday. He's going to the cross on Friday. His time has come. It's time for this this three-year journey to the cross is now about to be accomplished in just a few days' time. He's no longer telling the crowds to be silent or those that he had healed to keep it a secret. He's now publicly stepping into that messianic identity that he has always had. So it's really interesting if you look over in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, it reads this way. Luke 19, 37 and following says, And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen 
saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Then listen to some of the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. She's saying, well, I could tell them to be quiet, but if they be quiet, the rocks around you are going to begin to proclaim my glory. We see right after that in uh, Matthew 21, verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? This is not just a, a crowd of a few people. One section of Jerusalem. No, the, the city as a whole is paying attention to what's going on with Christ coming into the city. This affected a huge group of people. All right, now let's kind of step back from the text for a minute. We've laid down a lot of context, what's going on, what's happening in this event. Jesus is coming to the city. He rides in on the coal. He's fulfilling prophecy. The people are picking up on it. They're making the connections to Psalm 118, Zechariah. Everybody, it seems like, is somewhat picking up what is going on in this event. The promised Messiah has finally arrived, and the crowd is excited. I mean, they're, they're, it says those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. They're excited. But why are the people so excited? I mean, why is this crowd so stirred up? Don't forget, they're, they're still under Roman occupation. Why is this crowd so excited? What, what do they think is about to happen? What do they think Jesus is about to do? Again, don't forget, context, again, this is Passover week. They're celebrating, they're remembering, remembering how God had delivered Israel out of Egypt. Now, just as God had delivered Israel from Egypt, this crowd is hoping that Jesus is about to come in and deliver them from the Romans. That's very likely what is on the forefront of these people's minds. They're thinking that Jesus is going to come in. He's going to be that strong military leader, that strong political leader. He's going to come in. They're going to kind of have some sort of rebellion, overthrow this Roman occupation. And they're excited. Oh, man, yeah, we get to get back to the former glory days of Israel. We're getting rid of Rome. That's what this crowd is excited about. This is the mindset that we've seen throughout the Gospels. They... People want another David. I mean, the prophecy is even that we're going to have a king like David. This is what they're thinking about, this strong military political leader. We even see this after Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John 6, 15. It says that they came to make him king by force. Jesus had to slip away. But are they ready for a suffering and a dying Messiah? They're ready for this strong military leader that's going to overthrow the Romans. But are they ready for a suffering and a dying Messiah? Folks, when we look back from this text, look at all the Jewish culture that went into this, the, 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 the cultural mindset of the Messianic figure, they did not have an accurate picture of who this Messiah was really intended to be. By and large, they missed it. They accurately saw Jesus as the Messiah. 
I mean, again, they're picking up all the symbolism. They're picking up on all the prophecies. They accurately saw him as the Messiah, that promised king. They're excited. They got the position right, but they got the purpose wrong. They got the position that Jesus is fulfilling right, but they got the purpose of who Jesus came to be wrong. And I just want to have to ask, do we not oftentimes do the same thing? Do we at times see Jesus clearly as the Christ, as the Son of God, Messiah, Savior? We see his position correctly. But do we really know what Jesus came to do, his purpose? So let's, let's, let's kind of be honest for a minute, all right? Do we often see people that say, they view Jesus as the Christ. They refer to him as Lord. They may have that position correct. They got the title correct. But they actually understand what Jesus came to do. Have they missed his purpose? Let's dig into that. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? For Jesus to be our Messiah? If he's Lord, he's Lord of our life. He's our boss. He's our supervisor. He's, our, he's the one that we follow in every aspect of our life. Maybe they see Jesus as Messiah, as Lord, but they don't fully understand what Christ being Lord in their life means. Maybe they say, oh, yeah, they, Christ is my Savior. Maybe they get the position correct. What are they being saved from? What are they desiring salvation out of? out of poverty, out of poor health, out of hardships in life? Or are they correctly understanding it? Christ came to save us from our sin, our true greatest need. That's what he came to do. He came to save us from our sins, deliver us our, from our, our greatest enemy, that of sin. Folks, the thing that scares me the most in this passage, when I read through a passage like this, kind of spooks me and here's why these are good religious jewish people they've traveled in from a long ways out to come in for this passover celebration they traveled in from all over town they knew what they're supposed to do they knew they were supposed to be looking for the messiah one day they knew that when that messiah got there they should welcome him in with a royal entrance into the city they knew that jesus was fulfilling prophecy by riding into town on the colt they knew that Jesus was tied to Psalm 118. They knew that Jesus was fulfilling Zechariah 9. They knew that Jesus was the promised Davidic king. They knew this. They knew the scriptures, but they, they saw his position right, and they got his purpose wrong. These were not folks that were running from God. They were there every time the church doors were open. But they still missed it. The crowds wanted deliverance from their oppressors. They, they wanted life to go back to the way they wanted it to be. They wanted comfort, the good life again. Yet they had no concept of a Savior that would deliver them from sin. For being honest, is that often not the same case today? Are we willing to settle for a Jesus that would simply make our lives easier rather than a Jesus that would deliver us from our sin? Well, let me ask you. 
Do you have Jesus' position right? Do you know that He's Lord, Messiah, Christ, King, plenty of these other titles that we see in the Scriptures? Great. I hope you do have His position right. But do you have His purpose correct also? Do you know why Jesus actually came to this earth and what implication that has on your life? Folks, we can know who Jesus is by title and position and completely miss His purpose. And if we missed His purpose and who He truly came to be, do you really know Him? If we, we may be able to see, yes, He is Lord, but if we don't know that He came to deliver us from our sins, do we really know Him? So what do we do with a text like this? You know, some texts are pretty easy to preach because Jesus gives teaching. He says, do this, don't do this. It's, the application is right there in the text, right? And passages like this, what, what do we do with passages like this? Lots of prophecy fulfilled. But Jesus didn't say just a whole lot. How do we, t- how do we apply a text like this just a few weeks out from Easter? We see that Jesus is clearly fulfilling messianic prophecy. If there's any doubt in people's minds, is Jesus the Christ? Hey, we, we have multiple prophecies fulfilled just in this text. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. We see that fulfilled here. We can hold on to that truth. Jesus is the Messiah sent to deliver his people, not necessarily from an earthly oppressor, but to deliver us from sin to be the atoning sacrifice for sin that we need so badly. So let me ask the question, where where does the culture around us get their information about Jesus? If people begin to learn about Jesus, where do they get their information from? A lot of times it's social media, tradition, cultural assumptions. In those arenas, who, 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 who is Jesus? You get on Instagram or TikTok. Who, who is Jesus in those arenas? They may get the title right. He's Lord. He's Messiah. He's the Son of God. But oftentimes they miss the purpose. They may still say that He came just to grant us every wish. Or he came to liberate you from some worldly oppression. He came to give you an easy and comfortable life, health, wealth, prosperity. That's often the way that the world portrays Christ to us. They got the position right, but they missed the purpose completely. All right, well then what is Jesus' purpose? Why did he come? What did he come to do? Why did he come into Jerusalem on that eventful week? We started off this morning with this passage. I want to go back to this passage again. Mark 10.45, the passage immediately before this triumphal entry. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the Messiah, he came down to earth to serve, not to be served, and to serve by going to the cross for us. Why? So that he might be the ransom for us. Jesus paid the price on the cross to secure our freedom from sin and death. Us, sinners, we deserve to die the death that he died, yet he ransomed our life. He was that atoning sacrifice, that propitiation for us, taking our place. Because of God's great love for us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
He stepped in as our substitute, taking God's wrath away. That truth is seeing Jesus' position and his purpose in unison once again. Who he is and what he came to do and seeing those two things together. So ask yourself today, do you see Jesus correctly? Do you see his biblical position and his biblical purpose in unison? It's pretty, a lot of folks around him will get the position correct. Yes, he's Lord, he's Savior, he's Messiah. But do you truly know him and why he came down to this earth? Folks, let's not be like the crowds in the triumphal entry. Excited for Jesus to be here, but for the wrong reasons. That crowd was excited. I mean, they're, they're, they're shouting Hosanna. But they missed it. They missed out on why Christ had come into Jerusalem on that eventful week. Jesus has not simply come to make our lives easier. He has come to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Something that we cannot be for ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Nothing we can do. It's only through our faith in Christ and His sacrifice that we can be made right and reconciled with God. There is no greater need that we have. It really makes me wonder, as I was kind of finishing up the sermon and, and just kind of chewing on it a little bit more, finishing some of the prep work yesterday, it really made me wonder if the crowds had known what Jesus actually came to do, would they have still shown up? If the crowds had really known that Jesus had come to deliver them from sin, and he was not going to deliver them from the Romans, would they have still showed up? Would they have still been excited for that? Jesus met such a greater need that they didn't even know they had, but they were willing to settle for just earthly liberation. Would they rather exchange Jesus' eternal purpose for a temporary comfort? Folks, let's not be like those crowds. I fear sometimes we want the same. Give us the earthly comfort, the temporary liberation from whatever's going on in our life, rather than clinging to the fact that Christ has delivered us from our sins. So this Easter, coming up in just a few weeks, you didn't know, put it on the calendar. Easter's coming soon, all right? Easter coming up in just a few weeks. I want you to take some time and see if you have truly reconciled Jesus' position and his purpose. Ask yourself, hey, Easter's three weeks out. Why are you excited about Easter? Is it because of all like the, 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 the fun new Easter dresses and the, the Easter egg hunts, getting together with family? Hey, those aren't bad things, okay? I'm, I'm going to enjoy that also, all right? Or are we excited about Easter because of what Christ has done for us on the cross? What we're going to see here in just a few weeks. As we, prepare, and, and as we prepare our hearts for this Easter season, something that we should be celebrating all year long, but ask yourself, why, why am I excited about Easter coming around the corner just a few weeks out? I hope it's because the suffering and dying Messiah went to the cross to reconcile you to God. Now maybe if you're one of the ones sitting in here and you're going, Brad, that's a lot to take in. Like I, I've heard a lot about Christ. I see this morning that you've said that, yes, he's fulfilled that messianic prophecy. I don't know if I really had his 
his purpose correct. Like I've called him Lord for a while. Like that's I've heard that plenty. I don't really think I understood the purpose of why he came. Brad, I'm not sure that I ever really knew Christ. Well, hey, I pray that you make that right today. Come down, talk, talk to me. Talk to your neighbor. Go find Bobby. He'll talk to you for a while. The, come and talk with us. We would love to talk with you and, and, and help you to understand why did Christ came. He came to, to give you forgiveness of your sins through your faith in him. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Church family, don't let us be like the culture around us. Letting the culture, the popular opinion, define who Jesus is. He is the promised Messiah. We see that clear as day in this passage. Let Scripture define who Christ is. If you have not put your faith in Christ before today, hey, I pray that you do that this morning. What better time than today? Church family, let's follow Christ according to His position and His purpose having those two things in unison. And as we round the corner into this Easter season, I pray that that's something that you dwell on day in, day out, thanking Him for the sacrifice that He made for us. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for the abundant blessings that You have given to us. Lord, we thank you for being so clear in that triumphal entry, fulfilling prophecy, on the road to the cross. Lord, we, we also say, Hosanna, we sang it this morning. Lord, we say the same, save us, we pray. We thank you for the fact that you have already gone to the cross for us. Lord, I pray this morning that we don't simply just look at the title, the position, that you have. Yes, Lord, that is important. Help us to also understand the purpose of why you came to earth. Help us to understand the purpose of why you went to the cross on that Good Friday. Lord, help us in these next few weeks as we... uh, Easter is on people's minds. It's coming up. For some, it may just be because they're getting an extra day off of work. Lord, help us to have those gospel conversations. Maybe even pointing back to this text in those gospel conversations. Yes, Jesus is the Christ. Help us to be bold with that gospel witness in these few weeks to come. And we love you. You are worthy of all of our praise. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.